I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and this is Writers on Writing. As well as being podcast, today's show will be broadcast on YouTube with video. So if you'd rather watch than listen, search my YouTube channel, which is Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you'll find this show as well as a dozen other interviews. If you're a mystery reader, look for Sisters in Crime Orange County on YouTube, where I interview crime writers. Before we bring on our guest, writer Lisa Cupolo, a few words. We are coming up on the thousand show mark. And if you've been listening at all, I know, if you've been listening at all during the last 23 years, we've been doing a weekly show. If you've gleaned any tips that have helped you in your writing or life, consider our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing. Become a patron. For a few dollars a month, you'll be helping my co-host Marie Stone and me keep doing what we're doing, bringing great authors and agents to you every week. If you're not a podcast subscriber yet, you can find Writers on Writing wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. And if you are a subscriber, consider leaving us a review and that'll make others find the show easier. Now on for our show, Lisa Cupolo's work has been published in the Virginia Quarterly Review. Plowshares, Narrative, The Ohio Review, so many more. Sorry, I said the Iowa. I said Ohio. I meant the (laughs) Idaho Review. She has lived all over the world, but currently resides in Southern California, where she's taught fiction writing at Chapman University. Her debut collection of short stories is Have Mercy on Us, winner of the 2020 W.S. Porter Prize. I'm so happy to talk with you. Oh my gosh, thank you. Me too. We have so much to talk about. And and first, let me say that you have got to be one of the most genuine, sweetest persons on the planet. We met more than a year ago at Portland <laughs> Artists Colony in Temecula. And before we actually met, you asked me, you were going down the down the hill to the store and you asked me if you could pick something up for me. I'm like, who does yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> I remember specifically, uh, and you wait, you wanted rice a certain kind of chip or something that you could get the, it was those layered cookies those quadri quadrini or something lemon cookies that yes. had. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, sprouts and then i said do you have wine and then we became friends yeah and we became perfect. friends so yeah. a great beginning well yeah. you know tell us about the book i mean i know a lot about the book but i don't know everything about the book and certainly a lot of our viewers and listeners know nothing yet. So how did it come about? Have mercy on us. So this is a collection of stories. So I um, have always, not always, I've written a lot of stories. I'm always writing stories. Um, So it came about in terms of being published because I finally thought I have enough stories. I was, I was writing stories and, you know, everyone I'd sort of send out and get published, which was really lucky. Um, And um, I had tried agents for a novel I had and different things. And then I, I thought, oh, I'll just try some of these contests that they have. And um, the W.S. Porter Prize was sort of a big one I'd heard about. And um, I just kind of put my hat in the ring and um, was really lucky to winning. It was during the pandemic. So it was like even more exciting to have something like that happen. To have something happen. So, so it was for a contest initially and right. contest, I don't know, were the stories in the same arrangement as they are in the book? And how do you arrange stories? Um, when you're going for a contest, you don't have an agent or an editor telling you what to do. 
and mm -hmm. to figure it out. So how did what happened for the contest? How did you arrange your stories? Um, well, I had, I've had experience in publishing. Um, I <clears throat> was a publicist at HarperCollins in Toronto for many years. And so I had a really good sense of how to put things in order. And I, um, my husband's also a writer, um, short story writer. And so uh, I don't know how I, I did it, but I think I just modeled it after, in terms of chronology. But my stories are pretty wildly different. And I always worry about the question, what's this, what's the one thing you can say about your collection? What's it about, you know? And I say it's about love because that's really, it's, it's stories about love, not love, romantic love so much as love, like intense love. In, in every story, it's um, longing, it's loss, it's despair. It's, um, there's so many emotions. And um, I was thinking about it today because I was out walking and thinking, what am I gonna say to Barbara? What are, <laughs> what are these stories about? And um, I, I was thinking when I was a child, so I'm the youngest of six. Wow. And very um, Italian, Canadian kind of intense family. And so um, when I was little, I used to say to my mom, you know, all the time, when I'm never leaving this house, we all have to stay here forever. <laughs> no one's leaving. And so it was, I've always felt such like such intensity. And then that feeling of loss that we all have and fear of losing somebody. And what happens when, um, you know, somebody betrays you or, you know, all of these emotions and how intensely you feel that. Um, so I don't know if that's kind of a theme, but it seems to run through a lot of my stories. I want to I want to talk about theme. But first, I just have to say your mother was a single parent. Right. Uh -huh. And she what refinanced the house, did something to put you oh. She did. Yeah. Um, you did your homework on me. And um, she, so I, yeah, I lived, um, she was the one who got me to travel. So I had lived in this very small town. Everybody was um, in Niagara Falls, Canada, the honeymoon capital of the world. And, um, but it's only 70,000 people that live in this town and 90% are Italian. And, but of course, immigrant Italian. So I never wanted to be Italian. Everybody was Italian and we all were, you know, the hoop earrings and you have to understand what that feeling is like. And um, but so I, and I also didn't feel ever Canadian. And so my mother, after like two years of me not, not doing well in college, um, gave me the money to go on this this exchange to France um or she she was a real estate agent and she did she had to refinance put a second mortgage on the house to send me to a school in Nice and uh that really that changed the whole trajectory of my life um when I got there I mean I literally got off the plane and I was like oh I'm home I'm here <laughs> I'm home what is this and so um yeah, that that's a profound feeling um, to to know that you have spiritual homes, and so I was very interested in in that feeling, and so I ended up living a lot of different places. I think, um, and that's what really gave me the education, and and really made me work on you know towards being a writer. Mm -hmm. So interesting. So okay, so back to theme. So all of the stories feel like they are connected thematically, and um, and I was curious if you had to leave any out. Were there any stories that you wrote that that maybe were in the collection for the contest, and you had to take out, or even before that point, where you went, you know, um, 
Yeah, good question. I have, um, I always wanted it to be 10 stories. I like numbers that are, you know, even numbers for sure. Um, so I had a, there were two that I would, that I would have put in and, um, but I left it at 10 and, and those are going towards, you know, my next book, I guess. Um, but as far as a range, I mean, you know, I have two stories that take place in Kenya and, I, and I, I don't write stories in places that I haven't spent at least a year or longer where I really do know the, the background and the, the feel to live in a place. But but yeah, there are, there are definitely um, other stories I've had published that I didn't put in. Um, this number sort of seemed to be right for me. So what were you doing in Kenya? Um, I had a boyfriend who um, wanted to learn Swahili. We were living in Calgary at the time, and he he wanted to learn Swahili. So we both were at a dead end in our whatever art jobs we were doing. So we um, decided to go to do volunteer work and uh, went to the town of Kasumu on the border of Uganda, right on Lake Victoria. And uh, we worked at the P P Pillars of Faith orphanage for over a year and um, or so and it was you know it wasn't through an NGO or anything because a lot of those places you kind of have to pay to do them which is like I had no money mm -hmm. so I just like we just got tickets and went and it, it ended up being um, you know another very mind-blowing experience of my life really I thought that I would do aid work after that and just like this is this is it you know, there's nothing more meaningful than this. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I got back to Toronto and I don't know, something else happened. <laughs> so. <laughs> so interesting. Wow. So, OK, so the stories now. Let's talk about a few specific stories. Great. Typically, the first one, I, I read that um, I think shortly after we met, you sent me the story. It was published right. somewhere. somewhere. Was it near? Somewhere. No, it was published at Prime Number Magazine, mm -hmm. which is a small magazine, and I love that magazine. And it got a push pushcart nomination. Um, that story, and it's called "Felt and Left." Use mm -hmm. the same letters. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually writing this a novel and stories from that story. Um, but "Felt and Left" use the same letters is about this couple with their daughter who go to um, Greece for two months, like on May and June for, you know, just to have this amazing holiday that they've never had. They're sort of old, they're older and their daughter is uh, late twenties. And um, the husband is a famous playwright and he's very well known. And a woman comes to the door, this Greek woman that knows of his work. And he ends up, um, well, and maybe you shouldn't spoil it, but something where he goes down to her atelier and she's very much after him. Um, and it's really told from Daria's point of view, who's the wife. And we think, oh, she's just going to be so mad at him for doing this. Mm -hmm. And um, she does something completely different. And I guess I'll say that about my stories is I'm always looking for um, something unexpected and something tender in a relationship that's got, um, you know, where, where you're, you're, you're surprised, but there's also like this human connection, the bonds that, you know, mm -hmm. well, I don't want to lose this person. I've been with this person for a long time, but I might do something else that is going to be shocking and interesting and really make them mad maybe. Um, but yeah, I, uh, Ask me a question about what you're going to say. Well, about story. well, did it did something specific happen 
to trigger the story? Like, do you remember like when you started writing it, when you had to write it, when, you know, the story came to you or, or maybe the first line or some, you, you what you saw something happen. I mean, like specifically, do you remember what happened? I, we were in, uh, we were on Catalina Island we were, when I wrote this story mm-hmm. and we were at, staying at a place that kind of re- reminded me of the feel of the Greece because it's a very idyllic, right? It's like, it's like Corfu, the, um, the show, the um, Durrells in Corfu, if anybody. I love that. I love, love it so much. Love so <laughs> I want to say that the. Uh, I don't remember if the um, Larry Lawrence Durrell in the show, he has this this gorgeous woman that he falls in love with from the town. Mm-hmm. And she stuck struck with struck me. And she sort of is very provocative with him. And they have, you know, have this toward romance in the show. And I think the woman that comes to the door that is enticing this old, he's an old guy, he, but he's this famous American playwright. Um, she's the person it's her that I had somewhere in the back of my mind um so that would be where that story derived from that character um this black you know this Athenian beauty that you don't even Mm -hmm. she doesn't even have a name because she's so just like she's the stereotype right she's the one who comes in to the relationship to destroy everything but but what's left is what's important Mm -hmm. between the two of you these you know this couple Sure. Will you read it? Read from it? Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) People knew of us in that small Greek village, the well-known English writer with his family, staying up the hill at the Tortorell estate, an ancient and sturdy two-story with milky turquoise shutters and fuchsia bougainvillea cascading just so, as if heaven sent. The place was ours for two months time, May and June. We were planted and living among the locals. Anthony had his feet dangling from the open window, pen in hand. He was a bearded man of innumerable and occasionally insufferable talents. I remember Louisa came into the kitchen where I was and asked, Ma, how can I make my skin more luminous? My daughter wanted something to give her vitality and gloss. Meanwhile, I was applying clumps of brown henna onto my dwindling strands. This is the last time, I told my daughter. Soon I'll go au naturel, gray. I was tired of the fuss of dyeing my hair each month. When would I knock off the facade and embrace the years, all the years that stacked up on me sideways, like shingles on a roof? Start with olive oil, I told my daughter. Add the pulp of an orange and mash some rosemary in to make a paste. Then apply it to your cheeks. Eat a spoonful of raw garlic with honey. What did I know? Upping the beauty at her age? Louise needed not a dash of paint nor a dab of cover. Youth burst from her lush curls and delighted its way along her springy toes, along to her springy toes. She was a child born under the lion moon. She was wearing a silk robe that stopped at her tan thighs. I'll stop there. Um, that's just a little bit from the beginning. That's so great. Um, so talk about the process of writing this. I mean, how many drafts did you go through? 
a lot. <clears throat> I work and work and work and work and work. <laughs> For this, for this story particularly, I love the character so much um, that it was so much fun to keep writing and getting it right because she has such a she has such a voice because she's she's you know aging she's older her you know it's it's different for a woman to age um, the husband's still attractive you know um, it's really frustrating for for women to age like I feel that in my fifties it's it's so different for women and men, you know? Mm. Um, and so, but she's, uh, she's got so much spunk, you know, like you're rooting for her the entire time. You know, she says, I'm not gonna dye my hair anymore, forget it, but still she's there doing it. And then she's got this gorgeous daughter um, who's just, you know, it's, it's just wonderful because that's life. Um, how you see in the generations and how she shifts to being in a different place in her life. Um, yeah. So I, I guess when I was reading it, I was wondering, you know, I mean, your husband's a writer, you have a daughter. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Were you worried at all that people would think you were writing about you? Oh, no. I mean, they, if they are, great. I mean, my husband's older. He's, you know, a lot more well-known than I am. He's still handsome and he's like 77, you know. Um, and that's just, you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, of course. I mean, there's so much of me in this book. I'm I'm in there. I'm her in, you know, in every sense. Uh, and yet I'm, I don't do what she does. But, but, you know, there's points in your life where you want to do that. So you put it in your character. Nice. So um, yeah, there's a lot of of truth in in the story for me, and and I think that's you know honestly, it's it's easier to write that kind of story where you're you know you know it's write what you know. Um, there's a lot that I don't know that I write, but um, yeah, I mean I'm fine if people think that they can ask me. <laughs> Or think it, it's fun. Right. Yeah. I remember um, Michael Shaben. I talked to him a long time ago. I think uh -huh. right after he won the Pulitzer. And he said, we were talking about writing in the first person. And he, he's like, yeah. I said, are you worried about people thinking it's you? Because everybody thinks it's always the writer anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're the first person, third person. They still think it's about you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I have um, youngest of six. I have five siblings who have now finally read all these stories wow. and asked all the questions. Was that so and so? Is that you? <laughs> when you know, and um, and it is. It's, yeah, it is me um, in a lot of ways, for sure. Um, talk about endings, too, because the ending of this story is so perfect. And I, you know, I think endings are really difficult. I mean, Endings are, you know, difficult in short stories, novels, in life. Endings are difficult. Um, talk about the ending of this story. And when do you know a story is finished? Like when, it, when have you reached the ending? Like what do you feel or what are you looking for to know that, you know what, this is, this is where it needs to end? Uh-huh. Uh, it takes um, an inner voice for me to tell me that it's it's happened, but also in terms of um, on the page, I want to make sure that 
mm, things come back around. Like I start out with her, with her daughter in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And for this particular one, because they have this nest of this lovely villa overlooking the ocean, you know, and the husband goes down to town and I wanted her to come back to the place with her daughter and be with her daughter again. And, and, um, somehow her daughter mirrors her and shows her her life and where she is now. And, um, and it's just very subtle. It's her Mm -hmm. coming back and taking down the the washing from the line Um, like that, but there's a bit of hope because she also clips a a rose. I don't know. There was, there's part of it. Um, And the daughter in the kitchen baking and um, yeah, I just, I just knew it was, it was, yeah, it was done. And you never know with a story. It's um, some of them, you know, I think, oh, I could have kept writing on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where are these people now? I mean, they're all, right. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, really, I feel like this book is very much, um, I find, find my delivery, people say, is like very staccato delivery. Mm-hmm. It's very like, you know, you don't get extra feeling in my stories so um I feel like each of them is a snapshot into um a bigger world but I've condensed it and condensed it and condensed it into this like you know eight page story or something um and so hopefully it stays with you and you keep wondering oh you know as I do with my characters I wonder if they're okay now <laughs> I mean, really <laughs> who's to say that what reality is you know the difference so yeah so so with the ending do you think that um the ending should be specific enough so that the reader can imagine what comes next or vague so that any number of things could happen next um every story is its own magical you know um sounding board for where and it it goes with how the delivery is in this in the way that it's written so endings are super duper hard so ridiculously hard to get right and so i i i think that the beginning definitely of a story you've got to refine and refine but also the ending really have to hit the right notes um in in making it um you know not this whole um making a uh, sense of things because I think so good stories just ask more questions about life, right. Mm-hmm. Instead of um, giving some answer or getting you to a destination where, you know, the whole family's at the dinner table again, and everything's great or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, making you feel like you um, still have so many questions, but have some satisfaction too, like right. a little bit of a deep, okay. Yeah. Holding on to something. So when did you know you wanted to use the story in a novel or turn it into a novel? I just kept writing this character. Um, Daria stayed with me. And so I'm going to do it, um, a novel in stories. And I've got, you know, half of it done. So I'm um, really excited about that. I notice you write a lot of dialogue and I, I love dialogue. I think, you know, I just, I could, I, I love stories that are primarily dialogue. Um talk about that I mean do you think about that in a draft like is the dialogue is is it is it balanced with the exposition or the narrative or I mean are you are you thinking that way at all when you're writing no I have a lot of I don't know everybody has voices in their head I feel like I have a million voices in my head all the time going talking (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um 
that's why meditation is good for a writer. <laughs> but I find that, yeah, I love my characters to talk to each other. It makes them real on the page. And I, yeah, because it really gives action to the story once you have them talking. Um, and there's got to be some conflict. So, and I always find like when, when I'm reading a story, once I hear them talking, I'm like, oh, okay. I know what they sound like. I know who they are. I'm really in their world mm-hmm. if I know what they sound like. Um, so, and maybe that's a reflection of all the, the reading I do and, you know, who my influences are maybe. But um, dialogue is, I've always assigned dialogue to my students. I'm always trying to, you know, go out. We are One of the first assignments we do is go out, luckily in the city of Orange. You, and I teach at Chapman that, we go out to this main square and they have to record something they've heard on the way or sitting in this beautiful, you know, where they have this found in the main square. And there's always like grandfathers running after kids and yelling crazy things at them. And so dialogue, I'm always aware and I'm writing them down, writing little ideas down often about dialogue. You mentioned influences. Who are your influences? Um, and are you a rereader? Okay, influences. So I'm Canadian. And um, I would say it's it's interesting growing up in Canada, because I, um, so I think the, for me, it's the big three, the Canadian big three, which are Margaret Atwood, Carol Shields, um, and who, who, who am I missing? Alice Monroe. Alice, Alice Monroe, the biggest one of them all, Alice Monroe. But those are my three. I mean, I've read everything of all three of them. Mm-hmm. Alice Monroe is... Um, yeah, Carol Shields, the book on less made me want to be a writer. If you've ever read the talk about the dialogue is so yes, good. I have that one. Yeah, I just love her. Um, so really steeped in Canadian literature. And um, and then I really didn't get my education in American writers until I moved to America when I was in my mid-30s mm-hmm. um, and did my MFA. So I was really so um, uneducated in American literature until my late thirties. And that was really interesting uh, and wonderful because I had all these, I mean, I didn't know Faulkner until mm-hmm. then. I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. a sin if you're American, but <laughs> for me, I have so many obscure Canadian writers who influenced me. I mean, nobody knows who Mordecai Rickler is, but he was huge. Oh, sure. yeah. Daddy Kravitz and all of that. And um yeah, Robertson Davies. There's so many Canadian writers that were really influential. Hmm. Well, tell me about the story Fort Pierce, Florida, because you have a character in that one based on Zora Neale Hurston. Yes, I do. I'm um, about the story. Writing in the voice of Zora Neale Hurston, which goes towards um, which is something I probably wouldn't do now. Um, but it, so when I was doing my MFA and studying. I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had come from Toronto, and Toronto is the most cosmopolitan city, I mean, besides New York, Dubai, somewhere like that, and so I had no real sense until I got to Memphis, Tennessee, about the division in the real sense of um, when I got to Memphis, I was teaching my first class, and there were white kids on one side and black kids on the other, and there was nothing, nothing else in between. There were no Chinese kids. There were no, you know, everything I'd been used to. So it was a real culture shock and a real. So I just got so into African-American literature. And really, I should have done, a, you know, my MFA in that as well, because 
um, or my master's because I had studied so much and I could have stayed and done it. But so I was reading Zora Neale Hurston and loving everything that I was reading. And I was just so in it and um, immersed. And when I learned that she had spent time as a maid in Florida, this, you know, in the, the near the end of her life, um, I had this idea, well, what if she was doing, you know, working in this, this maid and she walked in and there was this, this person who was pretend, you know, being a writer in this motel and they had no idea who she was. Mm -hmm. And of course it's this young white writer who thinks he's all that and he's drinking his bourbon because he wants to be Hemingway or whatever. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty, it's the most unique story, I think, in the collection. I loved it. I loved it. Thank you. Thank and, you. And Z House, too. That one has stayed with me. And mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure why exactly. Um, I think part of it has to do with the visuals, because uh -huh. I keep picturing this Z House where, you know, one character lives in one end and the other character lives in the other end. And then a son comes to stay and lives in the middle. Talk about right. that story and where that came from. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was, again, she was divorced, older, maybe in her sixties and she and, and her best friend had this idea to live together, pool their money, buy a great piece of land. And they were still like foxy and going out and doing everything. And they um, had dates and whatever, but they wanted to live together and they were going to do it in a in the perfect, you know, environmentally way of their house, set it up in the, you know, breezeways and all this with the, um, and it sounded ideal, right? And in the middle, they would have, it was, it was done like a Z and in the middle would be the common room and they would each have their wing with a little garden and area to sit and have, you know, it's just like, sounds like perfection to me. <laughs> and so, and it was for these two women, you know, they had a blast, they'd come in, they'd have their meals together, but had basically their own separate lives and then one of their sons um comes to the door basically with his pillow because he's been kicked out from his wife with his, uh, from his wife and then the story begins right and they have this person in the middle of them uh and that um that's how that story because you know I, I love the idea of having these two women but you have to have trouble in a story so mm -hmm. where does the trouble come from and so I'm thinking well what's going to happen because it sounds too perfect um and you know uh, it it just went from there. You you, sh you have somebody show up at the door. That's one of my um, writing exercises for students too. Imagine you know you somebody's at the other end of the door that you don't you're afraid to open it, but you open it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and who is that person? Mm -hmm. And then start writing. And um, so yeah, I, I love that story too. I think it's really um you get all sides to the the characters and she's one um Jeannie and Paula and Paula's the one who's you know really tender in that story and is very afraid as a woman to like make her mark and and uh sort of live outside of her ex-husband's you know past sort of thing so yeah hmm. um I I wondered as I was reading that well as I was when I'm reading anything, I suppose, you know, like, well, you talked you talked about the women that you know who did this. Uh -huh. Did you take anything from what you know from what happened with 
their lives. I mean, did a son show up or a daughter show up or it was just really the situation. It was just the, yeah. coming together and to the, have a house. Well, the, the, what happened is they ended up the, in real life that they made the house and then the other one ended up not moving in and pulled up and, and moved wow. out to Prince Edward Island in Canada. So, I mean, it's, you know, these disasters and ways of coming together, it's, it's a, it was a dream. And so, but I was very happy that they got there and um, it it's, yeah, one of the, well, the son that comes ends up being hot for the, um, right. the other woman, which is, right. I didn't know that was going to happen either. Yeah. You know, I notice also, and it, I talk about this in my classes a lot, when you're writing a short story, like limit um, the characters, limit the settings, limit the problems, and you're not going to have a million subplots in a short story. And um, your stories are limited in setting and number of characters and and what, you know, the major problem, there tends to be, you know, little things going on, but there's a problem and not a lot of stuff. Will you talk about that? I mean, do you, in your early drafts, do you ever overwrite what's happening and you know you're gonna have to cut it later and you cut it later? Or do you go into writing a story knowing I'm only gonna have a couple characters, I'm only gonna have a couple settings at most, and this is the A story and maybe the B story. I mean, how much do you know going in? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know a ton. I usually have to have to make the B story up because I, I that's what I have to work on as a writer. I feel like we all have I'm, I'm aware of I'm not great at settings. Right. Like making, you know, um, describing a setting the way it was, you know, um, but I'm the character. Oh, thank you. Wonderfully. <laughs> They're minimal well, and they're enough, minimal. Yeah. Enough, enough to give the reader, to give me an idea of what you're doing or where they are. Thank you. Um, so I think that um, the story of, the, okay, the linear story, uh, I find char character is what I get driven by. And I'm writing and writing and writing about the character. And I think, well, there's got to be other people that are interacting. Now put that person in the scene and see what happens. So um, I don't end up writing big, a lot of things happening. I'm very much narrow in this is the scene, this is the problem, because I feel like if you spread it out too much, that's a novel or it's it's mm -hmm. a, some other beast that isn't a short story. So I'm very aware all the time of getting that, that problem on the page first. It's very important in a short story to know the trouble is there within the first two paragraphs, I think. Mm -hmm. For me, that's mm -hmm. how I like to write, you know. Um, the one, the story I have, how I became a banker, the first line is, um, I knew when I was 13 that I wanted to make a shitload of money. Mm -hmm. And and that line I love because you have to think, well, obviously you've had some, something happen with money or your life or what, you know, now I want to know about your childhood. Okay, what happened? And um, so there's already the trouble in that. It's there. And, and the story is called How I Became a Banker. So we know she's a banker and she hates being a banker, but uh, she was not going to not, you know, earn a shitload of money. <laughs> right. But getting it there on that first page in the first couple of paragraphs, it's a short story, right? It has to happen. Yes, cool. it has to happen. It has to happen. 
And, and, you know, when you, you know, this from being a short teaching so much is you're often taking the first few, two pages for a, for a student saying, okay, the story starts here. <laughs> you don't need these first two pages. Right. right? You yeah. Them. Where you Are, get the. Yeah. Sorry. Were there any stories in the book that were difficult, especially difficult? Uh, or, or when you hit that spot, do you go, you know what? It's not worth it. Huh. Um, probably how I, um, the, the, the title story, Have Mercy on Us, took hmm. me a long time to write. Um, and I, I put it aside for a year almost. And uh, so I'm not sure why some stories are like that, but I couldn't get, it's a relation, it's a, a love sort of between a mother and daughter feel to it um where the daughter's in trouble and she's got a kid and the the mother um and she's into drugs so the mother is very protective and almost to a uh, maniacal way where she's wants to go after the boyfriend who got her in trouble um so i can't say but a lot of times i you know I, i've heard on your show people say put the story aside mm -hmm. You know, when they're giving that advice. Um, but my advice, I would say, because um, I've listened to all your shows and your your podcast is my favorite podcast for writers, not just because I know you now and we're friends. Um, but I, I would say in terms of um, advice or to make your what I'm always trying to find when I read a story in a, a student story or work that's not there yet is you're, you're not quite you don't quite have the voice yet. Mm -hmm. And so rewrite this as if you're writing to your best friend rewrite this as to the person who accepts you most in the world and you can be as honest and clear and vulnerable on the page write to that person write the story as if you were telling it to them mm -hmm. and um and that often helps i mean i have a million tips for you know just from being in so many different, uh, teaching so many different classes, but also another one that helps, I guess, again, it's a it's a form of point of view is if you've got it in first person, we'll rewrite it, you know, word for word and put it in third person. Mm -hmm. You probably heard that. And then if it's in third person, rewrite it word for word in first person. And man, you learn so much about the character when you change that point of view. It's pretty astonishing. What about in taking a short story and turning it into a novel? Like, what did you have to deal with? I mean, you're talking about your novel as interconnected stories. So I don't mm -hmm. know, maybe that's a little different, but you're still taking an existing story and you're creating a book, mm -hmm. right? So do you, did, did you find that, I don't know, things about these characters change because now they're going to be in a book? They're going to have a long lifespan. Absolutely. I mean, you have to really get more into what they do for a living, for instance, you know, if they're characters that are in that, you know, and what what happens, what's the interaction in their day? Mm -hmm. uh, I find the dailiness, which you never really want to put on the page, but you have to have that because you need to be um for the, you know the story I'm writing right now, it's very much like that. Now I know they're back in Toronto after they've had this big trip, and you know it's just a Tuesday in October. But the you know the um, the story's still going along. So I actually that's what I love about a novel versus a short story. You're really just in their house with them mm -hmm. on a regular day and figuring you know mm -hmm. keeping them company, and they're keeping you company. 
it, it's the coolest thing. And with short stories, you don't get that as much. It's it's a quick whoa, you know, like and then it's gone. <laughs> and it's gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, you've mentioned different exercises or assignments you've done with students. And I'm curious, you know, I, I don't know, I like, this might be a strange question, but I always like to ask writing instructors this question, and that is, how do you teach writing? I mean, do you find that students either have it or they don't, or can they get it by learning the craft? Do you know what I mean? Like, like there are people who want to be musicians who can't, can't, are, are tone deaf. Yeah. You know, they uh-huh. They're never going to do what maybe they would love to do. Yeah. Do you ever find that with writers, with students, or is it different because it's more craft or, well, I mean, all of the arts, you have to learn the craft of it. Um, mm-hmm. And luckily, luckily with, I mean, it's so beautiful to be, um, to be a a writer because you can learn by reading and that's the that's the most pleasurable thing to do if you if you love writing I I just assume you're going to be a a heavy reader and just be really into it and I really feel like that goes it seeps into your pores and Mm -hmm. then it comes out and sleeps into your pores and you know rarely do I go okay I'm going to learn how to read a short story so here's Chekhov and I'm going to read Gooseberries and I'm going to figure out word for word what he did I'm at least I don't learn that way. Mm-hmm. I learned by reading gooseberries like 15 times and mm-hmm. going, oh, and right. enjoying it every time I read it. So yeah. so a student has to be ready. A student, ha- I mean, I have a lot of students that are in their 20s or not sure, you know, they don't, if you're dedicated, if this is your passion, this is what you want to do, I think you'll get there. I mean, it took me a lot. That's why a lot of writers are older. It takes a while to mature and get to, you know, where you've ingested enough and lived enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I do have, I have a few nerdy questions for you. And that is, you know, writing first drafts, do you use paper and pen? Do you use typewriters? Do you, at what point do you put it on the computer? And then when you do, uh, what are you using? Are you on Word or Scrivener? And do you have a special font that you like? And, <laughs> and <laughs> point size, all that, all the nerdy stuff. Okay. Um, Garamond 12, I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do a lot of writing in the morning, just longhand. And then um, I will, you know, put it on. I don't have a mat. I just have like a regular laptop and I, I use that, but I get my best inspiration in the morning for mm-hmm. writing early. Um, and you can be really wild in the morning. People think you get wild at night in the morning is like wild time because no one's up and it's quiet and everything. <laughs> How early cool. are you talking about? Like five. I mean, oh, not too yeah. early. Yeah. But it's just so brilliant because no one's awake and you have the whole place to yourself. Um, So did I answer? I don't use the typewriter. I wish I did. That would be really cool, but I don't. Um, You go directly onto the laptop, no longhand kind of um, legal pad drafts or. No, nothing like that. You do all those wonderful things, I think. But, um, but the thing too, with writing is I, 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 I came to it. I mean, I was always writing things, but I never was any good. I mean, I dated a writer for seven years and he, this is before my husband, who was a writer and he was so good. And he was, he was very fancy and he'd been to Oxford and all that. And I was living in France at the time. 
And I just, I just so come from working class. I mean, my upbringing was was not um, literary based. We didn't have a library. We didn't, you know, we had my mom read books, but I really think that what your purpose is comes to find you. Like mm-hmm. it just kept coming up for me. You better write this down. I mean, I had a million jobs because I had to, um, but uh, writing just, it's in you. So maybe back to that other question about, are you born, if you're born a writer, it's going to find you. And it Mm -hmm. just keeps, you know, it keeps saying, hello, (laughs) do this thing, because then you feel nurtured. And um, it's just the best feeling. And so yeah, I mean, not to say that you have to do an MFA, or like I was, I was pregnant when I did my MFA, I was 35, you know, like, Mm -hmm. none of my uh, trajectory was um first class or anything like that you you know you just come to it however you come to it right well we have to talk about publicity because you were a publicist I was a publicist a long time ago what how is that transferring for you with your book like what are you getting involved in or how are you directing your publicists or I don't know just are you finding anything really useful in terms of getting the word out Uh, it's really hard when it's yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a great cheerleader for everybody in my life and I'm not good at doing it for my own stuff. So uh, it's really like, would you read my kind of blurbs was, that was really hard. Um, So I'm, I'm a terrible publicist for myself, uh, but I have a publicist, which is great. And she is great. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's difficult. I loved doing publicity for other people when I was in Toronto and I had great, you know, made great friends with writers, but I have a really, yeah, it's, it's probably just a confidence thing or something, but it's, it's not fun, (laughs) right? But it's necessary. Is it the same for you? Yeah, I think so. I don't, I mean, it can feel like a lot of hype and you just go, oh, what's the point? You Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) like why bother? I don't want to have bother people. Um, yeah, it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But but what about, there was something I was going to ask you in relation to that, um, like Goodreads. Are you using, you're using Goodreads, right? Oh, yes, I'm doing. So my book's not out till January 24th. Um, but right now I'm doing a giveaway on Goodreads. If anybody is on Goodreads and you put it on your shelf, have mercy on us. Um, it's, um, yeah, it it's a I'm giving away four books. So that's fun. So I do go on Goodreads and I do post more recently, of course, since I've, you know, been having to do this, but I think it's a it's a neat platform. I'm not great at social media, but I'm pushing myself to be better. And and let's talk about pre-orders because publishers always love to see those pre-orders come in and so do writers because I guess it determines the first printing. Is that is that right? Um, I'm not sure about that. I I I guess I'm not sure what my print print run is. See, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> well, your date is January 24th, and Correct. this will most likely be on YouTube. You know, close to today, which is December 9th. Um, so, uh, so if people see this, readers see this. It'd be great for them to pre-order, right? I mean, would be amazing, that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Through Regal House Press, uh, you can look me up, Lisa Cupolo, and it's I have a website, lisacupolo.com, where you can see, you know, where to pre-order. It would be fantastic, and yeah. I'd be very grateful. 
Yeah. Yeah. It counts more than I think people know when you, when you become, you know, that writer who has something coming out, you become very aware of how pre-orders are important. Um, yes. At least from the publisher's <laughs> point of view. Right. Um, well, before we go, how about, I know you already gave a bunch of tips, but if you <laughs> want to leave, uh, leave the watchers and listeners with something to remember about um, writing some advice or uh, pearls of wisdom, what would you say? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would say to just follow your heart and don't worry, don't ask too many questions about should it be one way or another? Because the story that you have to tell is your unique story and nobody else on the planet can tell it like you can. And that is so valuable and worthy. And don't worry what other, you know, keep going with feels right in your heart. And honestly, that will lead you and, um, and you'll find your way. So. Well, thank you. This has been just wonderful having you on. And I uh, can't wait for your, your book to be out and to see what happens with it. And I'm sure all good things you've got, you've got wonderful blurbs on here, by the way, you You said you were nervous. About, yeah, about asking really, really them. lucky. Yeah, very lucky to get, Great. I mean, astonishing blurbs. So thanks, Barbara. It's been a real joy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Lisa Cupolo. Her book is Have Mercy on Us, published by Regal House. Um, thank you to Travis Barrett, who does our music design and has an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify which is free to you and it's called Just My Type. So when you go to Spotify, look for that. If you want to get in touch with me, penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com and Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and for watching and uh, have a great week. Don't forget to stay in the chair. It's the only way your story will get written. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Lisa. Thank you, Barbara.